0: Welcome to the ACOFP Student Podcast, a production of the American College of Osteopathic Family Physicians. Good morning, Doctor Weir. Thank you so much for agreeing to join me on this podcast today. I was so excited for the chance to get to interview you today, um, just to hear your perspectives about osteopathic manipulative treatment, as well as just your general um, perspectives on medicine. Um, So as a little bit of a background, Dr. Weir is a 2018 graduate from the Alabama College of Osteopathic Medicine. She then went on to earn a um, board certification in both family practice as well as osteopathic manipulative treatment. And currently, she has now been serving as an assistant professor of family medicine at the Alabama College of Osteopathic Medicine. Um, She also makes a really large presence in the lab at osteopathic practice and principles. And just on a personal level. Level, you've helped me so much um, just re engage with osteopathic manipulative treatment and see how practical it can be to actually helping patients instead of just seeing it as something to get through this degree. So I wanted to personally thank you for that. Um, So without further ado, Dr. Weir, could you tell us a little bit about your decision to become a physician and your journey into medicine itself?
1: Yes, absolutely. First, thank you so much for inviting me to be a part of the interview. I think it's really important to speak more on OMT especially being like a female in medicine and doing OMT and family practice and trying to balance all the things I think it's really important to have this perspective and this um kind of angle heard and isn't something that's always heard so thank you for inviting me but yeah kind of what got me into medicine to begin with I actually thought I wanted to be an attorney most of my life um growing up I was always a little strong-willed had my opinions that type of thing and my my oldest brother is actually an attorney so in high school um before he became a judge I would help do his like coding and billing in his office and then I was like never mind this is absolutely not for me. Um so my dad was a pharmacist for over 40 years. So it was my granddad and his great, his great granddad. So there's always been a little kind of current of medicine running through our family. And I have a couple of cousins that are physicians. So when I was like, okay, the law thing that is not going to work. Um, I knew I wanted to do something that was in public service. So then I started, and I, I always enjoyed the sciences, find the human body fascinating, like most people that go into medicine. So that's why I kind of angled towards medicine. Um, and then later in high school, I actually went on a mission trip down to Tegucigalpa, Honduras, and we were based actually at a local hospital. So not only was was there like a ministry side of it, but there was also a hands-on side of it as well. And so I saw what an impact that could have, um, and really being a part of something that's larger than yourself, which is medicine and in that shell. So that's what kind of uh, drove me to get into medicine.
0: That's amazing. And obviously now OMT is a huge part of your career. And so, um, could you tell us a little bit more about how you found passion for OMT specifically? Yeah, absolutely. So before I got into DO school, I had a
1: limited understanding, like most students do, of OMT. I just knew it was something practical with your hands um, that can help. But I think really what first sparked my interest was actually my first couple of years of medical school. Um, Dr. Kevin Hayes was one of our assistant kind of department chairs at the time. And I mean, he was lived, breathed, just OMT was his entire life. And his mission was to make us see one, that it was real, two, that it was practical, and three, anybody's capable of doing it. And so he really had just a huge passion and poured into his students. And so that's what first got me interested in it. And then I would say really, I kind of got further into that when I was in residency. So I did my residency in association with Michigan State University. And as has many people in the DO world know, Michigan State has a huge department for OMT. Um, and it's very much something that drives um, that whole community of medicine. And so even when someone goes to see, I don't know, an orthopedic surgeon for spine, they really have to go through OMT before the surgeon decides, hey, yes, we need to operate on you because you've exhausted all options. So I just really got an inpatient and outpatient hands-on view of what OMT could look like, how practical it actually is, and how just naturally integrated in that community it is in everyday medicine. So that's really when I got more hands-on training and said, this is something I want to be able to facilitate daily.
0: That's amazing. That's incredible to hear that your professor was somebody that planted that seed in you, and then you just further explored that in your career. Mm -hmm. It's interesting. So important to have those um, mentors and teachers, Mm -hmm. and I'm glad that you got that. Yeah, Um, yeah, exactly. So it sounds like currently you do still see patients in a clinical setting. So could you talk a little bit about the balance between um, being a professor and teaching in academia and also um, working in your clinic position?
1: Yeah, so I have a unique sort of hybrid opportunity uh, job position at um, at ACOM, which I really enjoy. So I am in the ACOM Ashford Clinic, which is a, basically a student-based and led um, clinic where the medical students are really what help to drive the care and the attendings kind of come in after and are able to help um, guide that assessment and plan and treatment of the patient. So I'm there two and a half days per week and I will do OMT just on the spot if a patient comes in with it um, or in, comes in with a complaint where that might be relevant. So I kind of integrated in that way. And then the other part of um, what I do for work is the one day of the week, I'm a full table trainer helping to instruct in that OPP lab, which for ACOM is on Tuesdays. And then on Thursdays, I am also involved in the primary clinical skills class, which is that hands-on class where you learn how to do patient interviewing, um, bedside manner, good physical exam skills, all of those types of things, as well as lead small groups. So I kind of have like a tri-fold hybrid job right now where I'm clinical OPP, as well as the PD. Um, the class as well.
0: Very cool. Um, so could you tell us a little bit about how you incorporate OMT into your practice, maybe um, in a day-to-day basis, and also if you have any like unique standout cases where OMT was really in- integral to a patient's care?
1: Absolutely. So the way that I do it now is kind of like I mentioned before, I'm I'm only at the clinic uh, about two and a half days per week, but in my previous job where I was outpatient clinical medicine, hundred percent of the time, you know, every, every weekday um, all of my partners at that time were allopathic. And so they would quite frequently um, refer patients over. So at that time, my schedule was sort of set up to where I might have two or three standardized OMT um, slots per day, where I'd see people specifically that might have, the <laughs> Um, MSK concerns for OMT, but then oftentimes, you know, people would just pop in and they'd have something and I would treat it on the spot. But my partners would also refer people over to me um, for treatment as well. Maybe things where muscle relaxers hadn't worked, they'd image them from head to toe and couldn't really find much or nothing was getting better. Then that's when I I would kind of step in and help with the OMT. Um, I can think of a bunch of patients where they're kind of standout cases, but one that's maybe a more common case that I've seen, and I've seen it on numerous occasions is the adults with ear, pain. A lot of times it can be like a little anterior inferior kind of posterior ear pain. They'll just wake up with, with one day and it's sharp, it's stabbing. It probably radiates down to their neck, anterior neck, maybe even posterior. They go to urgent care usually two or three times, get multiple rounds of antibiotics. Then they, I end up seeing them Um, one or two months later, and they're like, I still have this ear pain and it's all the time. And everybody says, my ear looks fine. And I've tried all these drops and nothing's getting better. And then I can take a look at that patient. And more oftentimes than not, they have significant somatic dysfunction, not only in the posterior neck, which most people think of because the back of our necks and backs and heads typically hurt, right. But our anterior musculature very rarely, if ever hurts, but is integral to our um, tensegrity really of our upper half of our body. And so I have found quite often that people will have um, scaling dysfunctions, um, sternocleidomastoid dysfunctions, as well as uh, maybe intraoral, sphenopalatin ganglion, some other things, temporal dysfunctions, that if you're able to regulate that um, with just really even three or four pretty simple techniques, Mm -hmm. they walk out and they're like, it's absolutely gone. Like my ear pain is gone. I have had that on numerous occasions, people with crazy scans, um, multiple rounds of antibiotics, all that kind of stuff. And it didn't show and they weren't any better and they didn't understand and no one had been able to give them an answer. And then few simple tricks of OMT, well not tricks, but treatments of OMT. And then that um, was improved. So that's just one of the many um, cases that I see pretty frequently.
0: Wow, that's amazing. And I'm so glad to hear that your allopathic colleagues also respected your expertise as an osteopathic physician. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's amazing to hear. Mm -hmm. Um, So uh, going into that, do you find that there are any misconceptions about OMT that medical students may have?
1: Mm -hmm. I think there's a couple really big misconceptions. One, I think because most people don't really have any um, understanding of it. They don't really have like really what it is. They think it's just this thing they have to do to be a DO. So they don't really maybe think it's real. And so a lot of people, because of the way we have to teach it so technical so that you understand everything for boards, as well as The basis of all treatments. People think it's really theoretical, or that that can't be real because you're treating your med school partner in lab that probably doesn't have that exact dysfunction, so you can't really feel it, so it must not be real. So I think that's the first thing, and then I think the second really big misconception is that they don't think that they can get good enough so that it can be actually practical and something that they can do. But really, we have the high, almost some of the highest proprioception in our hands. It's just you've never been instructed on how to hone into that, just like um, eyesight or just like your smell or just like anything else. Your touch is another huge sensation, but you've just never been guided into that. And so people don't think that they can um, feel things or that they can get better to do it. And that in practice, it it you can do it you know you can make a living doing it um and a lot of people will hear well you can't make any money doing omt and that's not entirely true you just have to become a little more efficient learn the techniques that um you're good at and what might be applicable and kind of have this sort of arsenal of th- tool chest of techniques that you can go to and sort of pull to quickly so that you can efficiently manage that patient because it isn't practical in most clinical settings to have an hour to treat a patient. So you have to kind of be able to get in there, assess quickly, treat quickly and move on. But that is something that you definitely can do um, with practice, just like anything else. Just like if you're taking out a gallbladder, the first time you try to do it, it might take you a while, but the more and more times that you do it, the quicker and more efficiently you're able to perform the surgery. It's the same thing with OMT as it's a procedure.
0: Yeah, definitely. Wow. Um, so you currently, like I mentioned before, teach at the same institution that you earned your DO degree at. Does this mm-hmm. hold any significance to you? And also an aside question, have you seen medical education change from when you were a student to when you're now teaching?
1: Absolutely. So I am kind of from the area where the school is. So when we moved away from Michigan, we knew at least some come or sewing somewhere close back to family was something that we needed to do. And so it's important because I'm now near family. But more importantly, I think uh, I really enjoyed my time at ACOM. And so I think it's really great to be able to come back. I'm actually the first faculty or the first position to be hired from the school that now has come in back and work for the school because the first graduating class was in 2017. So it's second class. So I have seen quite a few changes in the school. Um most of them most definitely for the better. You know, you always hear people say, well, I had it harder in my day, but things were, I think the school started out on a really great foot. Technology was at the forefront. I think that has always been something that ACOM has pushed and I think they've continued to further to integrate technology because that's where we're headed in medicine. What does AI look like in medicine? What um, digital resources can we use? And the school has always been really good, I believe, at providing those resources and helping students um, through that. So I think that has only gotten better. And then as always, there's faculty changes and things, but I think overall it's all been for the better, as -hmm. well as the medical school is now really fully integrated with the regional medical center here, which is very unique. Um, It's really the only DO school in the country that's set up that way that's so um, tightly wound with a regional independent medical center, which I think is really cool and only adds to additional resources the school has available.
0: Very cool. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Um, So when we learn OMT at school, and you touched on this, especially for teaching us to learn for the practicals or maybe for board studying, we learn very technical things like about holding a counter strain point for this number of seconds or flexing or extending to this angle Mm -hmm. or um, holding with this pound of force. Um, You did speak to this earlier, but in clinical settings, how have you seen that differ from um, actual practice when you practice Mm -hmm
1: absolutely so all of the technical stuff that is taught right like you said you hold it in this position you hold it for this long that is all based on um really evidence-based stuff it was prolonged amount of patient encounters and they found on average it takes this amount of time so that's where the standards come from but really in real life things can be very different I find very oftentimes counterstrain especially if you augment it a little bit with a little compression or distraction it does not take near 90 seconds then there are some other techniques that you do. And it's like, wow, that actually does take me a little longer. So I think that's where leaning into what you at least have proprioception wise and sensation wise. Feel that you can understand um, and then you kind of adapt that. So for me, my style of OMT is I understand all the basis and the technical aspects of it, but it's, it's far less technical for me. It's just see problem, feel problem, figure out a way to fix problem. And so very oftentimes um, I like to kind of combine some techniques, you know, cause a lot of things like, for example, myofascial can be direct or indirect, right? So if you're doing that, you, I might be doing something indirect and then I kind of take it direct and then I might add a little compressive force onto it. So you kind of figure out ways that as long as the principles stay the same, you can kind of augment what you feel comfortable with and just find a way, Hey, there's a problem. Let me make it feel better for that patient using the understandings that I already have of tissue texture release, all the tart, everything that we're taught. So that's kind of when you kind of create your own hybrid way of doing things.
0: Yeah. That makes a lot of using
1: anatomy really, because it's just anatomy at the end of the day. You know, yeah. you just have to imagine, I tell the students at the school, you have to imagine your patients without skin. Right. And so what am I touching? What am I affecting? What muscles are there and how can I move those in a way that could create a release or a, um, a normalizing of the dysfunction that's there. So it really just all comes back to anatomy at the end of the
0: day. Amazing. Okay. So if you could leave medical students with a piece of wisdom more so than what you've already shared with us today, what would it be?
1: So there's probably a ton of things that I could tell a little tidbit, but I think one of the most important things is for the most part, we all go into this because we want to be altruistic. We want to do something that's larger than I, than ourselves, but I think it's really important that you should not, uh, you should, I should say, work to live, not live to work. So I think you really have to prioritize yourself. Um, at the end of the day, your mental health and your relationships. So whether that be please make friends in medical school, okay, there's some of the best people that you'll have when they actually understand what's going on with you and your training and how difficult and different it is than a lot of other um, career paths out there. So I think maybe trying your best to form relationships with people that are somewhat similar to you, and as well as maintaining your other relationships with family and that type of thing, even though it can be difficult and you'll miss family functions and that that type of thing. I think it's important to not forget what makes you, you. And for most people, that's some form of um, relationship, whether that be with themselves or family or friends. So not forgetting that you are important at the end of the day. Absolutely. We're here to take care of patients and do the very best we can by them, but it shouldn't be at immense self-sacrifice to ourselves.
0: Yeah. That's amazing. Thank you so much for that reminder. Mm-hmm. Well, Dr. Weir, thank you so much for your time today. Again, it's been an honor and a pleasure hearing you speak about this. I am really excited about this episode. And um, yeah, thank you so much again. The ACOFP Student Podcast is a production of the American College of Osteopathic Family Physicians. To learn more about ACOFP, please visit www.acofp.org.